The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, 7543. Go to the homepage on the website of a certain company and a large number jumps out at you. It doesn't move very often, which is a good thing. The number represents the total number of lives saved by their product, and it has been growing slowly since 1934. From the day I first started training to fly to the day I retired from the Royal Air Force, I sat on a Martin Baker ejector seat every time I took to the air, and I did so with the confidence that one day I might ask it to save my life, and trusting that it would. Luckily for me, that moment never came, but for 7,543 aviators from 93 air forces, their Martin Baker seat worked as advertised. One of the very latest lives saved was that of a Pakistani Air Force Mirage 3 pilot, whose aircraft suffered a technical malfunction during a routine training flight on the 2nd of May 2017. Martin Baker is, of course, not the only ejector seat manufacturer, nor was it the first. The first system, back in 1910, used a bungee elastic, but the first patented ejector system was created by the British railway engineer Everard Coulthrop. A close personal friend of Charles Rolls, of Rolls-Royce fame, he watched his friend die in a biplane crash. The tragedy inspired him to develop first a parachute, and then in 1916 he added a patent for an escape system that when activated tilted the pilot's seat backwards, and then with a blast of compressed air would deploy the parachute which would pluck the plucky wearer out of the aircraft. Coulthrop wasn't the lone inventor working on such a system. Quite independently, the Germans and the Swedish were coming up with versions of their own. The first German system was fitted to the Heinkel HE280 prototype jet fighter, built in 1940 and powered by compressed air, the seat that is, not the aircraft. Test pilot Helmut Schenk became the first person in history to use an ejector seat in anger when the controls of his aircraft became iced up. The Swedish seat was developed by Saab, who first used compressed air, but then moved to a gunpowder-powered seat developed by Bofors in 1943. It was the post-war development of high-speed jets that really prompted work on an efficient and safe ejector seat, and the US Army Air Force experimented with downwards ejecting systems operated by a spring. However, it was the work of Sir James Martin that led the field. Sir James, originally from Ireland, was originally an aircraft engineer who worked with Captain Valentine Baker to build aircraft during the Second World War. The MB-3 was the prototype for a heavily armed high-speed and manoeuvrable fighter which held six 20mm cannons. During a test flight with Baker at the controls, the 2,000-horsepower Napier engine failed. A nearby farmer, John Thornton, witnessed the accident. Two fields from where Morris and A were harvesting, there was a stack of newly threshed straw. The MB3 hit this and burst into flames. Bunny Winter, the bailiff of Cold Arbor Farm, beat us to the crash, but we were too late to rescue Captain Baker in the fierce fire. Martin felt the loss of his friend and business partner deeply, 
and it fired him in a passion to devote his life to the safety of aircrew. For the rest of his life, he worked on the development of aircraft ejector seats and retained the name of his friend, Captain Baker, in the company name as a tribute. The first live firing of a Martin Baker seat was by fitter Bernard Lynch from the back of a Gloucester Meteor in 1946, and shortly after, the first American, First Sergeant Larry Lambert, safely completed a test. Lynch demonstrated the seat publicly at the Daily Express Air Pageant in 1948, and the seats began to be fitted as standard equipment from the late 40s. The early seats, such as those I sat in when I was flying the Jet Provost and the Hawker Hunter, used a solid propellant charge, which was located in a telescoping tube attached to the seat. The Mark I was little modified from the test model that Lynch used over 30 times. It had a simple lever that raised and lowered the seat pan to accommodate different heights of pilot, footrests and thigh guards to prevent the legs from being forced apart by the wind blast as they left the aircraft. However, they required the pilot to manually jettison the canopy, position himself correctly, fire the seat, and once clear of the aircraft, release his seat straps. Once the pilot fell clear of the seat, then he could manually activate his parachute by pulling the D-ring. A number of fatalities occurred when the pilot fell unconscious or ejected too low to carry out all the actions. So Martin set about improving and automating many of the manual functions required in the Mark I. The Mark II seat was a simple, automatic seat that also employed a drogue at the top, a personal parachute in a container in the seat back, and a dinghy pack within the seat base. The seat stabilising drogue that had been fixed at the top of the seat was now held in place by a scissor shackle. This shackle would release the drogue at a predetermined time and was used to pull out the main parachute after five seconds to allow for slowing from a high-speed injection and when below 10,000 feet. One of the most popular was the Mark IV seat, known as the Light Fighter, and there are over 700 still in service. It has currently saved over 1,200 lives. The Mark IV was developed to meet the needs of weight reduction as well as improved efficiency to suit a more modern generation of fast jet aircraft. It was fitted to 34 different jets, including the Etonda, Magister, Hunter, Jaguar, Griffin, Alphajet, Lightning, Sea Vixen, Buccaneer, Jet Provost, and Nat, just to name a few. The seat was rated to operate from above 50,000 feet and 600 knots. It was still a pure gun-powered ejector seat, using one primary and two secondary cartridges, and it employed what were, by now, the classic Martin Baker sequencing system. The seat could be fired by either pulling the primary face screen handle or the seat pan handle that nestled in between the pilot's thighs. The face screen handle was a double loop of black and yellow striped rubber-covered wire that, as it was pulled down over the face, deployed a canvas face blind to protect the pilot's handsome visage and steely-eyed glint. The first operation was canopy jettison, which was usually achieved by a pair of explosive pistons that fired under the canopy rail, lifting the front into the slipstream to be carried away by the airflow. 
Once clear, the ejection gun fired and the seat started moving up the guide rails. After a few inches of movement, the self-contained emergency oxygen bottle tripped, the aircrew services, radio cable, oxygen, anti-G, etc., disconnected, and the leg restraints were pulled taut. The leg restraints were cords attached on one end to the cockpit floor and on the other by quick-release fasteners to the front of the seat. The fighter pilots who wore these special gaiters just below their knees and which clinked together as they walked separated themselves from the less glamorous pilots who flew helicopters or transport aircraft by the noise akin to the sound of a gunfighter's spurs. On strapping themselves to their bang seats, they would thread the leg restraints through the metal rings, safe in the knowledge that on ejection their long muscular limbs would be prevented from twisting into a mess of shattered bone when they hit a 600-knot gale. As the seat continued to rise out of the cockpit, a static line would initiate a 0.5-second time delay before, after clearing the aircraft, a drogue gun would fire a large metal slug which pulled out a 22-inch drogue. This, in turn, pulled out the full 5-foot seat stabilising drogue, which orientated and slowed the seat to a sensible speed. If the ejection was above 10,000 feet, the pilot would have time to watch his crippled jet do its falling leaf imitation as the seat descended, quite smartly, towards the earth below until the barostat measured the height. On reaching 10,000 feet, the release unit would start. If the ejection was below 10,000 feet, a G-restrictor would prevent operation of the time release unit until the seat slowed, whereupon 1.5 seconds later, a plunger released the scissor shackle to transfer the pull of the drogue to the lifting lines of the parachute, pulling it from the seat. Simultaneously, the harness and leg lines were released and under his pretty Irvin 24-foot diameter parachute, the pilot would be lifted away from his wonderful but now useless ejector seat. The final gift his seat would give was his seat pack, which, when a 12-foot long lanyard attached to his life preserver came taut, was plucked from the falling seat and dangled below him, containing his rather ominously coffin-shaped dinghy. The act of tugging this personal survival pack lanyard also activated his locator beacon, so that now anyone on the distress frequency could locate the down pilot. Needless to say, this function would be deactivated when over enemy territory. In the unlikely event that the pilot thought his Martin Baker miracle had failed him, his seat had both an emergency oxygen bottle firing handle and a manual separation handle. Pulling the manual separation handle, fired a cartridge that operated gas-powered guillotines, severing the parachute attachment lines, the linkage function then released to harness, the negative G-strap, personal equipment connector, and his leg restraints. This allowed the disbeliever to fall free of the seat, whereupon he was now required to pull his own ripcord to open his parachute. The Mark IV was a long way from the final version of ejector seats to be made. 
The Mark V was introduced in 1957 to the States and saved 1,645 American lives from failing Crusaders, Phantoms, Intruders, Sky Rays, Sabres, Thunder Flashes, T-33s and the like. However, like the Mark IV, the Mark V was a 0-90 seat in that to achieve a successful ejection, the pilot could be at zero feet, but only if he was doing at least 90 knots of forward speed. Not a lot of use if you were landing a Harrier vertically. The first seat that contained a rocket pack were the final versions of the Mark IV and V, which were renamed the Mark VI and VII. 1,500 of these seats are still in service in many countries around the world, and they served in the F-104, the F-8, the Phantom, Prowler, F-5 and F-14. They retained the telescopic ejection gun, but as the seat cleared the aircraft, a lanyard fired the multi-tubed rocket pack, which took over and continued to power the seat away from the aircraft. This improvement turned a 0-90 seat into a 0-0 seat. In other words, the seat would work stationary on the ground. Other modifications were introduced that lessened the chance of injury, such as a power retraction system. The speed of the seat would be negated by waiting for a canopy to jettison, so in the main, this and future seats would smash their way through the canopy using cutters on the top or miniature detonating cord would shatter the canopy as the seat passed through. A recent ejectee, apart from drinking heavily, could often be identified by the MDC splatter that the lead cover surrounding the explosive cord gave to any exposed skin, leaving a myriad of superficial cuts. Various other marks followed to suit lightweight aircraft, to improve comfort and to suit changes in cockpit design. The Mark 10 was to equip the Tornado, Sea Harrier and Hawk, to name just a few. Improvements in the restraint were also introduced, including arm and helmet restraint. The Mark 14 seat is found in the F-18 Hornet, commonly known as the SJU-17 Alpha, and the NACES. And the Mark 16 is in the F-35, Eurofighter, T-38 and the Raphael. Martin Baker are now up to Mark 18. Of course, there are other seat manufacturers, such as the maker of the very sophisticated McDonnell Douglas Aces II. For a while, it would have been a Boeing ejector seat, very appropriate, I feel, but it is now made by United Technologies Aerospace Systems. This seat equipped a whole generation of American F-series fighters and bombers, including the F-15, F-16, F-22, F-117, B-1 and B-2. However, the Aces 5 lost the chance to provide comfortable seating for F-35 pilots. A pilot who uses his seat in an emergency can join an exclusive club, and he will be recognised from his exclusive pin or the understated dark blue tie he wears, decorated with discreet red triangles, representing the danger ejector seat symbol. To read all of the members' stories, check out the Martin Baker website, but here are a few. Captain Jack Fair said, 
on December the 28th, 1974, at 1905, on a Sunday morning, flying two F-4Es in an air-to-air scenario, we experienced a head-on, belly-to-belly mid-air collision. My airplane lost the complete tail section, afterburners, stab, and vertical tail. The collision was horrendous. After trying to recover, I looked in the centre mirror and saw only fire. I initiated immediate ejection with the lower handle. The collision, ejection and the opening shock were all tied together in a horrendous experience. All four crew member seats worked perfectly and none of us had any serious injuries. Nearly every day I thank God and Martin Baker for my life. The photo is my wife Milda and me as we celebrate every day of our lives together. Thanks Martin Baker. Bill Thaler said, Thanks for being there when I needed you most. Lieutenant Colonel Kalo Manyaya wrote, I am forever grateful to you and indebted to Martin Baker for saving my life. Thank you. Frederick Hugler added, Thank you very much. Your company saved my life. I had a long career as a military pilot, vampire, venom, hunter, and as a captain for Swiss Air, ending on the MD-11 as the deputy chief pilot. Frederick ejected in 1965. Captain Brian Buse, Canadian F-18 display pilot, who suffered an engine failure at a critical part of his display at the 2010 Alberta International Air Show, wrote, I would like to thank Martin Baker for saving my life recently. I'm sitting here with my family because of the amazing performance of my seat. The accident happened on the 23rd of July 2010 at approximately 1810 Zulu. The jet developed a problem and I was forced to eject at around 30 metres. It was way too close, but the seat saved my life. Words cannot express how I feel right now, but thank you. I think that just about says it all. 